1: It's the true faith. Newcastle United podcast Newcastle were beaten 4-3 by newly crowned champions. Manchester City at St. James's Park, and it was quite the game. And to talk through that game and much more, you've got Charlotte Robson, Mark Corby, Norman Riley, and myself, Alex Hurst. Charlotte, kick-off with you. That was fun, wasn't it?
2: Yes, so fun. Um, I said on my show before um before kickoff that I was really anxious because Leicester was so good. It was like a consistently good performance throughout pretty much the entire game, which we weren't expecting. And typically in in this Newcastle United, we see reasonably good pockets of games, if not the whole game. So like, you know, we had a good 60 minutes, we had a good 40 minutes, or whatever. Um, followed by a really terrible performance, like players all over the pitch, you know, which is correct, but in not knowing where they're supposed to be, no cohesion, total um, just confusion, really. And I was very anxious. Man City are obviously not to sound too much like Steve Bruce, a, an excellent side. They're top of the table. They have been crown champions of the Premier League um, ahead of this game. So, yeah, I was nervous that we would totally capitulate, That it, that after a good performance, we would be followed by not a good performance against a side that are clearly great but it was crazy (laughs) it was fun I mean there were were, not to use the word again but like pockets of like ooh but overall against a team like that I didn't expect us to play with such um entertainment and an actual drive and I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed watching last night and that is an unusual thing to say this season about Steve Bruce's Newcastle United.
1: Yeah, very unusual. And, and to be positive for a second, I feel for maybe the first time in Bruce's tenure that each time I watch the team play, ignoring the Arsenal game, the team are getting better. Now, that could just be the low expectations, even though we are supposed to have unrealistic high expectations. Um, but but also, I feel, I feel there is something in that. I feel... Joe Willock is, you know, every game he plays, the team seems to get better around him. You know, Miguel Almiron had one of his best games in that position last night. So so there was a lot of positives. We still lost the game, and I'm frustrated that we lost it. I thought it was a game we should have at least drawn and won. And, you know, for me, it was a real positive that at 2-1 down, I think everyone feared the worst. Yes, we went one up, Shelby hits the crossbar. Then we'll go 2-1 down, very unlucky first goal, very unlucky first goal to concede. It's weird when you watch teams like Man City play, the commentators are almost like unwilling to suggest that anything wasn't planned. So even that, that shot was going wide and would not have gone into the net without that massive deflection, the commentators were very reticent to be like that was lucky. <laughs> they just won't say it for teams like Man, you know, Man City. Um, but we'll go 2-1 down, and I, and, and I feel maybe that's the most positive part of the night. You know, there are still aspects of Newcastle. Newcastle's performance that aren't brilliant, but like you say, Charlotte, the fact that I think the entirety of the fan base almost has come out of a defeat to a well, any side, but particularly a top side, and could be fairly enthused about what we saw um, suggests the level of performance and how far the team has come since the difficult days of what January, February, and, and March this year not April, of course, because best manager in the league for April, Steve Bruce. Norman, you've talked about. Taken one game at a time. How did you see the game last
3: night? Brilliant game. Um the fact that I didn't have any expectations going into it was a big help. I never expected it to win, but at the same time, I wasn't fearful of a defeat because it's Man City at home. The their way records incredible. They've just won the league. I wasn't unlike Charlotte, I didn't I didn't have any any nerves whatsoever. And I think that helped. I was totally relaxed watching it. And the performance itself, I think even even if it had gone disastrously wrong, I don't think I would have been too upset because it, it was never never I never expected anything anything as I see it, and to to see what we did was yeah it was a real real present surprise and at least for the first seventy minutes. I mean we have to be realistic; the last twenty minutes was so dull. It was so dull. I mean, Man City just passed it and passed it and passed it. There was one spell where they had I think three and a half minutes of the ball constantly. Uninterrupted, and we couldn't get anywhere near them. and you saw at the end Joe Willick virtually collapsed. I think I think he maybe lost the use of one of his lungs at the end of the game. Um, I can't verify that obviously, but um, I think performance wise, the, the way that we played on the counter attack was absolutely superb. That that pace and Guardiola, Guardiola referenced the pace, it was it was phenomenal. Um, ASM, you've, got, you've mentioned Almiron, you know, um, ASM uh, Willock, br- they were brilliant. Um, and obviously, you add Callum Wilson to that. And that's, we've been saying this all along, right? That's the bones of a very, very good side. Um, And as a, as a one-off entity last night, late was great. I think one of the issues it did raise actually was the fact that what we really need to do in pre-season, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, is we need an understudy for Wilson so bad. That's not me criticising Joe Linton's performance last night. You know, there were elements of Joe Linton's game that were relatively hapless last night as, as a standard. But ultimately... He scored a fantastic penalty. He won the penalty. Um, I can't criticize his performance at all, but it, it does it, it. was a performance along with the Leicester game, along with a few of the performances recently, that made me think actually a couple of a couple of really important signings. And and ultimately, regardless of Bruce will have a competitive side just because of the talent on the pitch. And that point you make on Willock is, is superb. Like he's almost becoming the player that Bruce referenced in that he's the kind of player you want to build a side around. I could say that. I can I, I can absolutely say that. Um so I am, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling positive, but I'm feeling positive in the light of, of this one particular game added to a couple of recent performances. Long-term, look, long-term, if I want to talk long-term, I would still look at the league table. I would still look at the fact that, you know, a Brighton win today, we're going to be fourth bottom. I can't celebrate that. that that's, that's celebrating mediocrity, right? That's, that's getting the Sunderland levels when they were surviving in the Premier League by the skin their teeth every year. Having a brilliant run at the end of the season and everything's all right. Oh, look at this, everything's all right because we've had eight or nine matches at the end of the season where we've picked up X amount of points to survive. I wouldn't celebrate that but I will enjoy these performances. While Steve Bruce's manager, I'll enjoy performances. Late last night, we lost, but my word, wasn't it nice to be competitive against a really good team?
2: I totally agree with you. And just to, like, sort of touch on that future thing and also Willock being knackered by the end because he seemed to be playing in a much more sort of forward role um, by the end, running around. That's something that I really hope um, that... Like, if, if we get him, if we get him on an extended loan, or if we we'll buy him, I, I'm saying the former because I can't see Newcastle United shelling out any cash. But if we get him, say, or a player of his ilk who's young, who is really athletic, we, I really, really hope that the preseason and the and the training goes into so much more fitness and conditioning because because our players are, are so good and have that pace. But like Norman said, by by minute seventy, seventy-five, it's really hard to keep it up. And it's hard for any team to keep up running around like that. It is. But it's something that they really need to focus on if we're gonna if we're gonna be dangerous on the counter like we were last night or dangerous with pace, we have to make sure that our players can keep that up and not have collapsed lungs at the end of the game.
1: Mark, I'll bring you in, mate. Um, you said off air uh, you, you had some stats that you thought would be good to contextualise what had gone on. Uh, do you want to talk about that for us?
4: Um, it's just more so the fact that what I found last night before the game um, and straight away after the game, I think people aren't looking at the bigger picture. And as, as Norman rightly says, sometimes you you sort of narrow it down to the game you've just watched. You want to analyse that. We're um, on it. You know, the, the team does look a lot better over the last couple of weeks, couple of months, shall we say. But when, when people are making up stats to um, sort of praise a manager who, let's be honest, over the two years hasn't taken us any further forward, you, you, you're always going to automatically come back with, with the right stats, you know. Um, the, the, one in, the one in question, I think Mr. Edwards tweeted, we've scored 15 goals in five games. It's it's nowhere near that. It's something like 14 and 7. Now that sounds awesome on my point, but if you're going to put it out there in the public domain, you've got to get your stats right, yeah? Um, but, you know, yes, we, we can't... I mean, I'm sure we, we, we'll go on to um, the bigger picture as the, as the podcast progresses, but it's still one win in four games. Um, that, that's that's my view on this. Um, people are... Pe- for me, I was positive about the, the performance because we didn't get battered. Um, but what, what we've got to be careful of, in my opinion... If we just accept that we will lose tight games to teams like Manchester City, um, we will go down to the the levels, like Norman said, like Sunderland, a couple couple of seasons ago, or five, six, seven years ago, uh, if you remember rightly, they used to beat Man City at home every season, but they were always in a relegation battle, but that was enough for them. Now, for me, if we go down that level where we're putting in the odd decent performance against a, a top team, you know, but forgetting the teams around us, I think that's quite um, I think that's quite worrying because if you think about what performs against the teams um, you know below us, uh, who who are left below, us, should I say, we've took two points from 18, and the last two games are against teams below us. So let's let's review it when uh, the season's ended for me, um, and also a big contrast for me because last week we were all absolutely buzzing with that unexpected performance at Leicester. Um, but last night, as as good as it, good as it was, and as Charlotte rightly says, it, in in parts, um, it was a free hit for us. I thought, I thought Bruce probably just set them, just go out there and, and give it a go, as he says, you know. And and we did, we did. But on the negative side of that, I thought we we're very, very sloppy defensively, um, and I think I share your your view, Alex. That overall, I'm slightly disappointed that we didn't get a point from that.
1: Some great points you've raised there. Um, first of all, there was another team that summer used to be regularly in those glory days from the bottom of Premier League, but we'll not talk about them. Um, mm-hmm. well, anyone know how they're getting on these days, by the way? Someone write in, where are some them now? Um, I, what, what my favourite point you've said there, Mark, is that the season isn't over. And I found this last season, actually, and I said it on the podcast a few times, that ultimately, once we'd reach safety last season, with, I think, was it was it Bournemouth who beat possibly? Was that the game where we're mathematically safe? And there were six Premier League games to go. And, you know, Charlotte brought it up on the pre match Charlotte show last night. Isaac Hayden, Sean Longstaff have both said about last season that there was very much an on the, the beach feeling. And in, in the media as well, it was like everyone said Steve Bruce would take the cancel down, he's kept them up. And it's like, yeah, but the six games left of the season. And I felt that a little bit this week as well, where I'm impressed by last night and I probably disagree with you slightly Mark which I'll come back to but the, the, the season can still be shaped last night in context of the West Ham performance the end of the Liverpool game um the performance against Leicester City now including last night suggests some sort of upward trajectory certainly from where we were back in the dark days of January February and March where we, we just we couldn't win a game um weren't even in games so if we can take this on to Wednesday, big game Wednesday, fans in the ground, um, and then take it on to Fulham, if Newcastle can, unlike last season where we went into the end of the season with you know, only four wins past January, I think, until the end of the season and no wins in the last six, we kind of took that into this season. Although this season started okay points-wise, the performances were very much the same and unsustainable, as we all said, and were proved right by. Um it's re- I thought last night was really important because I have sat on this podcast too many times, and I'm sure people watching and listening have said to themselves or their friends too many times, when we've played these teams, we haven't even been in a game. When we went to Man City back in the last season, earlier this season, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't a contest. The game was over before it began. The manager was stood there at full time, grinning with a two-goal two def- deficit defeat. The same at Old Trafford, the same at Chelsea. What you saw last night is, and Norman, you're correct about the last 70 minutes, and I think there's a lot left to be desired in terms of the way that we manage the game and the substitutions, but we might talk about that later. What last night was, was a really good game, and we were part of that game. And yes, Man City were probably missing seven guaranteed first-team starters, but their replacements all cost 40 million quid as a minimum. You know, we were missing Callum Wilson, who, you know, I possibly hope a pollock me, but I'm going to be positive. Callum Wilson plays last night. I possibly think we'll win the game. Because he's that good, because he makes that much of a difference, because Man City's clearly struggled against powerful running um at them in the, you know throughout the game. You know, so I'm really pleased last night with me and Charlotte and talked on the show. We, we did did and shows through the week, myself and Norman. We did the State of Play podcast. Charlotte, you did the, the match preview. Um we all wanted to see, we all wanted to see something. More than what we had seen previously. And the fact that we got that for me is a positive. And, and everyone who's listening to this, if you watch the game, this wasn't Newcastle United under Keegan. It was Newcastle with 20% possession, low block, whatever you want to call it, five at the back. It was all of those things. And in, in this, to finish off my point now, because no one wants to come in, like I'll keep saying, I would love, I'm going to give credit where it's due, credit where it's due to Steve Bruce, coach and staff, the players for last night. But where has this been? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? we we were told in previous fixtures against these teams there was no other way to play. You know, we played Manchester United at home with St Maximan and Wilson fit. We, we put in a a pitiful performance, an embarrassment performance against a team that had just been beaten six one the previous week. And Man United are a good team and, and all of that, but you know, it's brilliant to see us moving forward. It's brilliant to see the side progress. And it looks like, you know, for the first time under Steve Bruce, possibly, it looks like you can see things that are being worked on in training. It's no coincidence that all of a sudden we're a danger from set pieces. That's fantastic. That's what we want to see. But as positive as it is, and as, you know, as noble as Steve Bruce thinks he is by kind of standing there saying, well, you know, I've got my best players back. It's like, no, nah, no. Nah, nah. This raises as many questions as answers, but... Let's go win the next two games. The season is still alive. Let's let's go and beat last season's points total. Not that I give a fuck about that person. He, but Steve Bruce seems to, Dave Jones of Sky Sports seems to. The season isn't over, and we'll put ourselves in a great position to have a fantastic end of the season. Norman. Couple of
3: points. What you said there about where where's that performance been? I think in context, and Mark alluded to this. Yeah have to look at the fact that we had nothing to play for, nor did Man City. So it was a case of just going to play it. And that's what happened. I think if you put that game, you know, let's say this October, the, following, the, the, the upcoming season, right? We play Man City home in October and we're ensconced in the bottom five or six, which is, you know, which is the pattern, right? That's, that's reality. Is that kind of free-flowing performance of, look, lads, just defend and then hit them on the break, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We've got all the points on the board. Everything's fine. We've survived. The remit has been hit. Do the players get that kind of that level of freedom? Um, if you know, if, if we're, we're at a stage of the season where the game has a bit more significance, and, and that's, I suppose, that'll be the test, right? That'll be the test of, of what trajectory we are. And if we see Newcastle United in October, November next year, putting in these kind of fearless, I would say, fearless performances against teams like Man City then you could argue that actually, all right, something's been learned and we are, we are moving forward. Um, so I guess it's a case of wait and see. But clearly, if we continue playing like we did last night, like we did against West Ham, and I'm not seeing these were perfect performances, but you know when it, when is a performance ever perfect? Um, but what we saw was entertainment, desire and fearlessness. And that's what I really want to see. Um, and moving on to how the team set up, look, we know that ultimately a lot of those performances are down to the, to the players' abilities as players as opposed to any any really sort of forensic tactical input, right? You know, we've worked on set pieces, clearly. But, you know, you think back to when Bruce first took over, most of our goals were scored from set pieces. This is something that was already in the locker. It's just something that's kind of been brought to the fore game, right? Um, it's, for me, it's the importance this summer of bringing in two or three players that can slot into the team when those big players are out of action because this is what happens when football players get injured. And it's Callum Wilson, mate, you mentioned. We haven't won a single game without Callum Wilson. Um, sorry, every game Wilson's missed, we haven't won. He's missed nine games. We haven't won one game without him in the side of those nine games. This kid is vitally important. And you're right. I think last night it was a different game against Man City of eight players. As mad as that sounds, I think we would have had a better chance of winning. Um. So it is, whilst Bruce is in charge, whilst we know he's not the kind of cerebral tactical manager, we need the players there to step in when those really important players aren't available. So somebody who can come in for Wilson, Vital, somebody who can come in for Maximan Vital, and I don't think it's, you know, beyond the realms of fantasy to to spend the, what, 30, 40 million that that would require. It's it's recruitment. Recruitment is massively important this summer to to keep us on this so-called trajectory
4: Just to, yeah, just to back you up there, Norman, um, you know, I'm, I'm not all doom and gloom. I think if, if we go back to... Um, you know, and I, I don't want to leave this down to a bash, Steve Bruce, because I think I've been very fair about Steve Bruce over over the course of the season. I really do. But if you look back at um, what you're saying, you know, since Jones has come in, um, we've won five and drew five of 16. That's a huge improvement from um, winning five and drawing four of the 20 before he arrived. You know, we're scoring more goals. Um, you know, it was nineteen and twenty before Jones arrived. It's twenty four and sixteen since since he's arrived. He's had an impact. Whether people want to accept that or not, it's it's a fact. We can't argue with that. So yes, I agree. We are ending the season um, more positively in the way we're playing, with the way we're lining up. Um, definitely giving teams like Man City a, a more a better game, shall we say? I, th- I think probably the um, the sort of optimism's a little bit bashed from me because. You know, you've got to remember, it's five years today. That would be Spurs 5-1. Um, you know, and the, the, the sort of atmosphere around the whole football club was totally different. But we still had hope. Um, and I'm not referring to career Hope either. We had huge hope around the around the football club. And um, the future looked bright, you know, because what we, we believed in one man. Now, it's 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 two years, obviously, since Benitez has gone. But in them two years, we haven't we haven't done anything that justifies going into next season at this point in day um that justifies having that belief that Bruce can really take us forward and we want to believe that we want to end the season well um but I just I just feel you know, if we're going to really praise or allow the press and the media to brainwash us into believing that Steve Bruce is the right man to take us forward then Perhaps that our expectations have fell that low that, um, that we're we'll just accepting mediocrity, as Norman said.
2: Unmute myself. I don't think the majority of Newcastle United fans will accept what a lot of the press and the pundits say. I think you can see that I know that social media is just this microcosm and it doesn't actually represent i mean there's what tens and t- hundreds of thousands of fans i've I've got like this lovely little twitter bubble of about a thousand you know um but having said that if if you take that as like an indication of what the fan base thinks of pundits and and journalists saying that that we need to accept x y and Z. I don't think that we do or, or will, and, and to your point, Mark, about hope and like you can't sort of get excited about Steve Bruce next season and that and you don't see anything hopeful. Well, I'm going to be like really glass half full and say maybe not our head coach, but something is changing, and I think the mindset within the players is is better than it was. I mean, if you talk, if you think about. A couple of months ago, we were told he'd lost the dressing room. He's, he's but a shoulder barging his own players. Um, you know, and I was like, right, well, they're not going to be playing for him. They're not going to be playing for anyone. Like, what's the point? But I've been totally proved wrong. I think the players are are really, not to sound cheesy, but like kind of inspiring. Like, you see how much Matt Ritchie wants it. You see how much Joe Willett wants to impress he wanted to be in the starting 11, he doesn't want to be an impact sub, and he, and he got there, and and I, and I see so much hope in, in that. It might not be Steve Bruce is the one, I, but, they, you know, there has to be some credit there, that they, they have to not hate him so much that, <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm scraping the barrel, but they must, you know, like him enough to go out there and and want to work well as a team. And, and I do think that they are. And I think that's a very hopeful thing going into next season. So I'm going to be, I'm being very positive, but I, I do think that that's something to be a glimmer of excitement for next season.
3: I think you both make good points and it, but you both say things that I completely agree with. I, I, with the attitude that I've had, and I've repeated this, so I'm sorry for saying it again, like on another podcast, but I'm following the kind of well-worn football cliche of taking mm-hmm. each game as it comes as long as Steve Bruce is the manager at Newcastle, I think we are going to be beset with these inconsistencies, these up and down periods. So right at this precise moment in time, we're having what I would call a good period. Things are things are looking good. You know, like, you know that's the reality. I'm not saying things are looking good, you know, into the future. Things aren't going to be good, like, you know, ad infinitum. We haven't turned the corner. I'm, you know, I can't be convinced we've turned the corner until you actually think, well, you well, know, we have turned the corner because this is a consistent pattern, Right. But ultimately, right now, as a Newcastle fan, I'm enjoying certain aspects of watching that team. And what you've said there, Charlotte, about the players, I, lo- I do love those players. I really do. There are some players in the team who have who really taken to heart. And, and there's a lot of players in there who are so likable. It, I think it's probably one of the most likable squads that, that I've witnessed as a, as a Newcastle fan. Um, and there's like a kind of youthful enthusiasm as well. And I genuinely think... Joe Willock has brought a lot of that, right? And th- I think, again, this underlines the importance of, of trying to get him in or someone of his ilk next season because that exuberance that he brings, along with his outrageous footballing talent, right, which, which he is, he's, he's a really good footballer. I think it's lifted everyone massively. The kid's got five goals in five consecutive games. its I think it's like a record for someone of that age in the Premier League, right? Something something along those lines. Um, So at this moment in time, really enjoying it. And I'm going to approach the Sheffield United game Looking forward to watching it because I think it's a game that we can win, and I think the way we've been playing lately suggests there's a confidence there. But ultimately, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm feeling gigantically positive about next season because the way things are, I can't even look that far ahead necessarily. It's like right now is good. Let's see what's on my guns in terms of signings and see where we're at. You know,
1: I think it's a great point about the future because it's it's just unique, isn't it? Newcastle United, you've got the club in two separate legal disputes with the league. You've got the PIF of Saudi Arabia. Supposedly, if you if you believe what you read, um, still interested in buying the club. That's got to permeate through the whole club. That has got to have a massive. It has an effect on me as a fan, and I'm sure lots of people watching and listening. Imagine what it's like to work there, to be part of that, to be thinking about next season, and and loath to do it because I still think this this season has been absolutely dreadful and below the required minimum standard that I'd expect from Newcastle United. Um, but but I do have some sympathy with Steve Bruce for that situation that he's in. Appreciate he's paid lots of money, and I appreciate he talks loads of shite. But he he has to go to work knowing that that if his boss is successful in his legal action, he'll be out of a job. You know, and and it takes it takes something to stick through that, and you know, and 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 come through the tough times that he has had to deal with this season. You know, which I would argue is ill-named, his and, and most of the time. So that kind of triumph and adversity, and, he's, and again, you know, I, I was going to put a tweet out last night just before we got that penalty saying, I feel quite low here. And I thought the first half last night went as well as it possibly could, as, like, as well as it possibly could, and we're still going to go in behind. And that was kind of a, a positive and a negative that had gone well in terms of the performance, in terms of creating a couple of chances, of posing a threat, all the things we haven't done against these sides for, for a long time, and not just against these sides, by the way you know, Fulham at home we didn't create a chance, West Brom at home would hardly create a chance, all that kind of stuff. But but ultimately, I thought, that, that's what impressed me most lot last night. It was kind of not the rollover and die. And I think you're right, Norman. I think Joe Willock is a massive part of that. I really do. I think that enthusiasm that he has and that willingness to never stop running and the willingness to, I mean, you know, <laughs> he's one of those players. And al is the same, but al doesn't have the same quality in front of goal that Willock clearly has. Um, you know, Joe Willock is always the first person joining the counter-attack and the first lad back. He's even back before John Joe who hasn't moved. You know, he's just up and down. He's everywhere. And like, and like you say, it does start to feel like they are building a team around him. There are a few lads last night who I also feel need to have a, a little bit of recognition. It was a great light night last night for the unpopular lads, for the uncool lads, the lads no one likes. So Emil Kraft, you know, he comes in against Leicester. Um Everyone's shocked, everyone's disgusted. Two fantastic games for me. I said it last week in the podcast, some people weren't happy. I think, you know, with, with the players that are available, obviously for me, my first choice back three, probably Newcastle, is Lejeune, Lasselles and Fabian Cher when they're all here, or fit, but they're not. Um, none of them are available. So I think Kraft deserves this place. Fantastic header, hilarious celebration, hilarious. Um, embarrassed, almost. Embarrassed to score, um, you've got John Joe Shelby Norman. Anyone want to talk about him? So I'll bring you in in a sec. John Joe Shelby, fantastic free kick, deserved to go. What have been two 0 Who knows what happens from there? Um, fantastic free kick and assist from a corner, and also Joe Linton with. We've finally found something he's good at. Finally, um, I, we'll talk about Joe Linton first before doing my weekly Shelby report. I don't know who wants to come in on that, but but the decision not to take the second penalty. Can someone please? analyze what is going through his head there.
2: Well, um, we don't need to actually um, Alex, because um, Steve, I don't know if you saw Steve Bruce's post-match comments, but oh, um, pardon.
1: I, I avoid them. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> he literally came out, I had it on, he came out and they said, of so why did he not take, you know, the second one? And Steve Bruce said, that was Joe Linton's choice it's a South American thing. They they don't like to take two in a row. I'm told. That's, That's kind of what he said. It was like, it's a South American thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure Messi has taken more than one penalty in the same game. I'm pretty sure, you know... Those players have, I still don't know what their thinking was because just to track back to the penalty that Joe Linton scored, I couldn't believe it. Like, if you think about all the times Joe Linton's been in front of goal with just him and the goalkeeper and he just dribbles the ball to the goalkeeper, there's no power, there's no force. And it's like, why are you number nine? I don't understand this when he got in front of that ball for the penalty, there was so much power. It was so impressive. It was just, it was it was confident. And I was like, I don't know this player. This is amazing. And then to get given another penalty and for him to be like, no, no, not, not, not again. I don't know if maybe he was thinking that was a fluke. I know it was a fluke. I'm never <laughs> gonna do that again. I wanna go out on a high or it is this cultural thing that we're not aware of that Steve Bruce has come out and educated us on after. But, yeah, a very strange decision. Obviously, I think the speed and the excitement of Willock kind of um, – because, obviously, he he missed the second penalty but but got it on the rebound. And I think that's a testament to his sort of hunger and speed and just, like – like oh, where I clicked there? Sorry. Like, total um, – engagement with the game but yeah it was a very 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 strange thing but I think Norman has a theory so let's let's see what he thinks
3: first of all I will say that having lived in South America on a couple of occasions at least and and visited the continent on you know more occasions than I can remember um I've never heard that theory (laughs) and I've watched quite a bit of football over there and also uh, to say it's a South American thing, I mean, that's essentializing one of the biggest continents in the world, right? There's quite a lot of countries in, a few different cultures. However, it's it's a brilliant theory. Don't get me wrong. My, my theory on it is, in general, that, that Willock just wanted it. He wanted it and he said, I'm having it. It's as simple as that. And he's a strong personality. Joe Linton doesn't come across as being a strong personality. He actually comes across as being someone who's quite timid. That's probably linked into his self-confidence, right? After two years of basically taking batterons in the Premier League. But Willock has got a ton of confidence he got fouled, right? He wanted that penalty. It's as simple as that. He wanted it and he said, I'm taking it and there's nothing else you can do. And I think I just posited before that um, he reminds me in terms of his ability and what he brings to the game. It's Kieran Dyer, right? But his competitiveness reminds me of Craig Bellamy and Bellamy wasn't afraid to just say, I want this, I'm doing this and that's it. Um, so that, that would be my theory. And also I'd just like to quickly see you're bringing Emil Kraft. You know, I like Kraft in the side along with Richie because it looks like we've got like two sort of um, German tank commanders from the Second World War on the side. Both, you can just both imagine them popping their heads out, out, the, side, out the top of the tank in the Libyan desert. You know what I mean? Not Nazis, just part of the German army. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, they didn't want to be they there. Didn't to be there they, they didn't want to be there, but they just following orders, right?
2: Yeah. Somebody, somebody wrote. I think it might be Taylor, but somebody wrote. Um, Matt Rich, Emile Craft looks like Matt Rich has been put to a pasta machine. Just a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: just a quick one on that. Um, you know Steve Bruce's point. I mean, I'm, I'm not making about to be. I, I accepted. I was quite all right if that's the case. Because to be honest, my initial point was I thought well, it was uh, unprofessional. I thought if he took that from Joe Linton, having scored that penalty, I th- my initial thought was oh you are out of order here. Um, but if that is true, and Steve Bruce is saying that Joe Linton, um, you know, never takes a second penalty. South Americans don't. I mean, I can't recall. I can't recall any South Americans who took two penalties in one game for Newcastle, but. I'll tell you what, I mean, normal, normal, you remember Mirandina. Um, Alex's uh, Alex has brought back some great memories of him in, in the chat. He's he's Mirandina, you would never have got the ball off him if I had two penalties in one game. Um, I can't recall him scoring two in one game, but he certainly had a run of fixtures when we got relegated. Norman, where what we won a lot of penalties, and he, he was always my first penalty taker, no matter what, no matter if he, he, it was a spawny penalty, he just scraped over, or you know, but but yeah, minus if that is true. If there's any truth in that Joel Linton um, excuse, shall we say, then uh, I'd rather accept that than being a little bit annoyed at Willock for wanting to take the penalty. And yes, we're quite fortunate to scored in the end. Um, so that's just my view on it anyway.
1: I think um, I think for me, Norman, because this is, you, you said, and I agree with you, I think Willock just grabs the ball when he goes down and he's like, it's mine but it comes down to personalities and, and desire. Because if Callum Wilson's on that pitch, do you think he's getting the pen? Because I don't. <laughs> I think I think Callum Wilson is like, I understand you're giving me the ball. You know, it reminded me of the um, Mitrovic-Matt Ritchie situation against Preston in the cup back in for 2016 now, which was like, at the time, you know, there was the great which side of the Mitrovic debate. You either uh, thought he was not very good, couldn't be trusted, um, or you were wrong and you thought he was a good player. Uh, three probably goes this season, by the way, from Mitrovic. Um, that'll set some people off. But it was—it it was. You're right. It was a really unprofessional scene. I think Newcastle were winning like four 0 at the time, or three 0 and, 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 and Mitrovic, you know, you know, was absolutely furious that Matt Ritchie took the ball off him and said, "No, I'm the penalty taker." It, it does, you know. I've, there's lots of reasons to criticise Julian. Linton. we finally seen, like you correctly say, Charlotte, something that he can do. We understand what the scouts were doing in Hoffenheim when they went over to watch him play and train. They just saw him taking pens and were like, wow, get this lad in the Premier League. Um, But I just think if you're you're Joe Linton, and okay, yes, we'll have to park Steve Bruce's um, cultural exchange programme on penalties, which he's invested in, clearly. But, you know, if you're Joe Linton, take the second pen. Your Premier League goals to game ratio is a disgrace. It's a chance to improve that. You're on a hat-trick at home. To the Premier League champions while winning 3 2. What a situation to put yourself in. And I think it speaks a lot to his lack of killer instinct in front of goal. Like he isn't desperate to score like Callum Wilson is. He isn't like, he doesn't wake up in the morning thinking about scoring goals for Newcastle. I'm sure he wants the team to do well and wants to do well personally. And he's a nice bloke. I don't doubt any of that. But I think it did say a lot last night because if Callum Wilson's on that pitch, he's taken both those depends whether Joe Willock wants to or not.
3: No doubt. Um, I think everyone makes decent points saying, oh, it's all speculation, right? I think, Charlotte, you said that maybe he just didn't take it because obviously he scored a belt and goal and, you know, the way that his confidence has been for such a long time in front of the goal that it, it almost might play in his mind that he might miss it if he takes a second one. You know, it's almost like, right, I've done something brilliant and I'm going to leave it at that. Um, that could play in. Um, but again, I, I think... You know, we're probably analysing it too deeply. I think um, Joe Linton, yeah, he doesn't have the force of personality that Wilson has, right? But in any organisation, and I hate saying this right? because it's kind of applying, like, you know, people in organisations logic. But there is a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy, right? And there are people who make the decisions and, and that's it. And you, do, you don't it, you do necessarily challenge them. And I think Willock is such a strong personality. Clearly, the, the impact he's had is, is huge, right? I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say he has literally transformed Newcastle United season, him being at the club. Um, And I think that place in the hierarchy he has just completely overruled Julian. It was like, I'm taking it. Bang, no argument. You're right. If Wilson had been on the pitch, Willock wouldn't even... I don't even think Willock would have tried. I don't even think he would have tried. He would have just accepted it. But that hierarchy, right? Wilson's not there. Willock's higher up and that's it.
1: There's 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 an
3: academic study in this, you know. There's an academic study in this and I really want to do it.
1: Someone write to Steve Bruce. (laughs) Get him sided, um, Norman Matt Richie, You were you you have been impressed, and you were impressed, and you've talked about his influence on this side repeatedly in recent weeks. What did he make of him yesterday as well, mate?
3: Well, he was just um, you know our, our resident tank commander. he, um, he was uh, he was he was excellent again. Look again defensively, the, you're not going to get much defensively, but you're going to get that that kind of long burst desire to to win. And OK, he wasn't uh, he wasn't directly involved in goals last night, but I just thought he's, his distribution was fantastic. His ability to switch the player from one side, the pitch was there. One of the corners he put in last night was like begging for a touch. It was a beautiful corner. And again, you think if Wilson had been on the pitch, if that corner got in the box, that's probably a goal, right? Um, yeah. and, and it's clear that the, the leadership, and again, we mentioned Willock as a as a strong personality whose exuberance has clearly rubbed off on other players. Richie's in that category. He's, there's, uh, there's no two ways about it. He's been... Vital, um, him and Dummett come back in the side has been transformational alongside, alongside Willock. Um, and you think of Richie, right? Spurs at home, his ball at long staff who squared at the Joe Linton to score. Um, his cross at the box for Willock to score. West Ham at home, his corner for Joe Linton's goal. Leicester away, Richie's corner for Dummett's header. Um, and it was his through ball for Wilson's goal. He, he's just been invaluable, and, and it's incredible because I genuinely thought, you know, a few seasons ago when I think Rafa. Basically, tried to sell him. Right, there was rumours of him going to Stoke City, and it just didn't come off in the end. I thought he was finished. Then he came back as a wing back. Um Bruce Bailey played him. That had a fallout. I thought he's finished. I thought a player with his lack of pace now in the Premier League, he's going to be a weak link, right? But the reality is, he has been like a complete renaissance man for me. And um I think, look, is he the long term future of the club? Of course, he's not because he's in his early thirties, right? And he plays on the flanks. It's it's unsustainable to be playing in that position when you're thirty four, right? I mean. You know, unless you're someone like Aspe who's a, a, a naturally gifted player in that position. But um but I think he is is really on a personal level he, he's completely proved me wrong. I thought Richie was was finished as a as a player who could offer us something in the Premier League and he's been fantastic. Like really overjoyed, and also I'm happy to say it because he's clearly somebody who deeply cares about you know what he does on the pitch. He's not the kind of player who you know puts his flip flops on in Gans the beach when the
4: team survived absolutely norman and one thing i will say we've, we've touched on you know bringing in willock and you know the return of wilson um uh, saint Maximum and things like that we've got the reasons for the season turning around in the end um but let's be honest that 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 training ground spot could have saved the season it could have saved steve bruce's job um it could have stopped us up that uh, kept us up um he's captain he's captain material for me if he's still here after the summer we'll make him captain I'm gonna move forward because for me, I've I've questioned LaSalle's, um captaincy for a long time. I don't think he's vocal enough. Um, I don't think he's good enough. Um, but uh, and Shelby's certainly not captain. Um, but for me, yes, I think uh, Norman's nailed it with Richie. He's a he's a lovable player. Um, he's very vocal. Um, and it's it's funny because I remember years ago, Alex, when when we did the uh, well, used did the um, the True Faith uh, quiz. Um, and Matt Ritchie and uh, Dummett was there and I couldn't believe how little he was you look at these players on the football pitch and they look blokes, look proper men you know what I mean and I couldn't believe how little he was he looked like a little boy he just won a, a day of training you know with the team um, but hey, he's, he's got a great heart and um, I, I'll personally say that I think that, that's bad saved save the season to be honest
1: Oh, or oh, Mark the reporting of it saved the season <laughs> even though Steve Bruce is not happy about it still <laughs> norman speaking of steve bruce and, and things he does uh, and says uh you know he gave um uh, much derided interview at talk sport this week and then he's obviously had a pre-match press conference where we touched it a lot last night on charlotte show where he said he didn't know what he was saying because he doesn't have a vocabulary um what do you want to say about the things he said this week
3: mate um i've got a couple of things to say but just quickly on matt ritchie i met him uh, in central station after the 3-0 win against cardiff and he must have been getting the train back to Hampshire. And he was with um, Bobby Cordova-Reed, who uh, was at Cardiff at the time. And he was really sound. Like I mean, I'd had about, I would had must have been nine pounds deep at this point. So I was probably... My vocabulary might have been uh, a little bit off at this, at this particular moment. But um, I spoke to him when he was dead sound. And uh, what I like about him is that he was shorter than me. Shorter <laughs> than me, which is... For me, it always ends. someone to be more when they're shorter than us. I, I really love that. Um, I wish I lived in a world where everyone was shorter than us, really. However, I digress. Um, Bruce is... Uh, Bruce's comments. You see, this is the thing. Like every every time a match finishes and something good's happened, I then listen to Steve Bruce's comments. or read them, and without fail, he always says something that makes you think, "Man, it, you're making it really difficult for me to to want to give you any credit for this. You're making it really difficult for me to to want to to like like to want to like, I, I want to like him. But he keeps saying these things. And, and last night, post match, um, let me see, I've got them here. This is bearing in mind the performance we put in, bearing, bearing in mind the comments, those incendiary comments, right, on Tuesday, which were ultimately an insult to the fan base, regardless of how you, you frame it. Oh, my vocabulary is bad. No, no. They were pointed and you knew what he was saying. It's as simple as that. Um, if you're going to do the job in the Premier League, you come in for criticism. Sometimes it's unjust. I always said when we had our players fit, we'd be all right. I'm a football manager. And I've been doing it a long time, but I'm prepared to work away at it and grow an even thicker skin. Right. I'll say this week, and, and I hate that I hear it talk about it because I feel like I'm I'm being negative about something that was actually positive, which was last night, but I have to because ultimately, you know, I can only assume that he's that he's actively seeking out this criticism online or in the printed press because there isn't anyone in the stadiums, right? There's no one in the stadiums, so in order to receive or learn of criticism, you must seek it out, or somebody is telling you what's going on, right? Um, and I just can't get my head around it. If he's actively seeking it out, the question has to be, why? Like why why is this being sought out? But then we actually, the other theory is, is that, and I think we mentioned we spoke about this on the state of play, Alex, is that the media. Or framing the fans as being negative towards Steve Bruce, right? It's like this this fra- this framing in the media. The fans are criticising, the fans are criticising, and then they're also telling them that he's doing a brilliant job. So we're telling them he's terrible, and the fans are saying he's doing a brilliant job. And this is what this is the information he's getting, but actually he's not getting any real information from the fans because there aren't any fans in the stadium. So uh, this this whole narrative, it it's almost like it it's it's fictitious. It, it feels to me, it feels fictitious because I can't see how. How when they're on fans in the stadium when they have been fans in the stadium for over a year, he's receiving this criticism. So ultimately, I'm going to say it. It is literally something the media are making up, and he's taking it as, as verbatim.
2: Well, possibly, but he did say in one of his thingies, and I mentioned it last night actually because I think it's just so harsh. Um, he, um, he he was like he was talking about the social media blackout. And he was like, yeah, I've, I, you know, I don't, I'm not on social media, but, um, I've, you know, I heard they say some horrible things about one referee. And then his son was like, oh, no, you, you should see what they say about you. And then showed him, Alex Bruce showed him some horrible stuff that was was said about him, which just it makes me laugh so much because it's so horrible. But, I would never show my dad, like.
1: Yeah, Charlotte, I have, an, I have an example of this where a few, I don't know, some people, very few. Sadly, lonely people don't like me for whatever reason on social media. And I mute them. The mute button is wonderful. And Mickey from the True Faith podcast will screenshot me messages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like of these horrible things people are saying. It's like, Mickey, why, why, why are you showing me this stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no one see it. Yeah. So you, you are spot on, Charlotte. It's just like, imagine, like, you know, you know, Steve, if he's following the um, coronavirus protocols, might not have seen Alex Bruce in a long time. Um is it as if the first thing Alex Bruce wants to show his dad is like, look how horrible um you know John eight zero nine four six seven five three you know is about you. It's just not it's not real life. It doesn't seem like a genuine thing that has happened, does it? But it must have marked my, my other
2: gripe my other with what he said is um that Norman just read out there is I've grown even thicker skin. In my opinion, Steve Bruce has no skin so he just it's it's beyond thin skin (laughs) it's just no skin um it's a really niche reference but there's a thingy called Inside Out Boy from Nickelodeon from like the 90s and that was a boy with no skin and that's how I imagine Steve Bruce because it by saying an even thicker skin, he's suggesting he has a thick skin now, which I've seen no evidence of at all. A, a, a manager with a thick skin does not phone up TalkSport on Monday to after, after a big, big game where everybody in the fan base is feeling like positive about it all. And then go off on one about, about the fans and about how difficult it is and X, Y and Z. That's not a manager with a thick skin if it's his goal to eventually grow a thick skin then i support that but i totally reject the notion that he currently has one um but
4: yeah that's me i just the the, the unjust point it baffles me um again I'm, I'm throwing stats out there but you can't argue with the stats um you know it's it's 14 wins in 56 games you know that's one in four that's that's relegation form. Doesn't matter how we've been doing over the last couple of months. Um, we could still finish this season if uh, we don't win another game and Fulham win all them. We would finish the season three points above relegation. That's that's going that far backwards that you can't celebrate that. And the um, the manager of the month award would it, it's laughable. You know, look at look at it. I, I look at it over the season, and you know you've also got to remember if we don't beat Sheffield United. Um, it's our worst points return at home in the Premier League. So how can these stats be unjust when they're staring the man in the face? And I think Norman made a point earlier in the chat. I believe uh, this season's is it the worst, the, uh, the biggest number of goals have conceded at home, Norman. Is that right? It Premier is, League?
3: it is. This is the most we've conceded at home in the Premier League. The thing is, I will I will caveat the the statistics. I'll go against you slightly, I'm and, and I understand what you're saying, but ultimately... A lot of teams' home records have been affected this season. It's been a very unique season in that sense, and I do think, as mad as it sounds, the lack of fans in the stadium seem. It you know, look, you're putting two separate arguments together. If there aren't any fans in the stadium. Teams have had really inconsistent home records, like a lot of teams. So maybe there's maybe there's a connection there. I, I will say that, but ultimately, you are right. I mean, like you know, if we look at the bigger picture, 40 wins and 50 odd games is is shocking. Um, but. But I'm not going to. Like when the podcast ends, I just want people to know if this is my final comment. I really enjoyed the game last night. It was an excellent performance, um, uh, and there was lots there was lots to be happy about. So yeah, I'll, I'm just going to head off now. That was that was great.
1: Well, I think I think we have finished the analysis of the game. You know, the only thing we haven't really touched on is the last 20 minutes was disappointing. The players were knackered. I thought you know substitutions should have been made proactively rather than reactively. I thought keeping John Joe Shelby on in a booking when we needed legs in midfield was was just, I'd say, you know, insane. But it, it's, you know, to be expected, John Joe Shelby plays every minute of every game. We know that. That's the way it goes these days. It's not worth fighting it. Um, you know, taking off Joe Linton but not bringing on a striker, then bringing on Dwight Gale five minutes later. You know, don't really have the words when you're chasing the game, but, but, you know... Let's not go down that route. We played well. All I wanted to say in that game was just to give them a game. we we'll gave them a game. We'll go to St James's Park on Wednesday. Some of us are there. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, there's probably you know been this argument of how will Steve Bruce manage when fans are in ground? Well, he's going into this game in with the team comparatively in fine form. I don't think, you know, if Newcastle get beat 2-0 by a, a dreadful Sheffield United, Steve Bruce will feel the pressure you know, that's normal. I don't think it's unique to Newcastle fans that if Newcastle play well and win 2-0, people will be pleased. You know, the, the game is almost bigger than football, you know, or the situation where Steve Bruce, from a personal perspective, you know, meeting my friends before the match for a drink, um, walking up to St. James Park. I'm glad it's a six o'clock kickoff, to be honest with you. It's really frustrating that. Um, and I can't get like, I can't take the afternoon off work or anything. So I'll get like one or two pints poofed. um, but it'll be great to back in St. James Park watching Newcastle United play football. It's, it's, you know, we all cherish that and treasure that because it's why we're all here. It's why we're talking to each other, it's why everyone listening or watching is doing it. Uh, so that's really positive. Um, one thing to comment on is that the club didn't, you know, did a ballot. There was no need for a ballot because they didn't get rid of all 10,000 tickets, which may be a sign of the times a little bit. And maybe depending on what happens in the summer, Takeover wise or transfer wise, you know, those ten thousand free season tickets might be called upon again next season, or maybe the number will increase, but time will tell. But certainly go back into the game on Wednesday, which I'm really looking forward to attending. Um, we're in good form, we're playing well, Alison Maxman should be fit, Joe Willock should be fit, so we should have a, you know, we should win that game. There are no excuses for not winning that game, particularly like one of you alluded to, the performances against Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield like this season have been below par. And on every single occasion, so that has to change on Wednesday. Norman, you've got another point to make.
3: I just, uh, last night's game was really unique and for a couple of reasons. Um, not only was it like basically in part a testimonial for Scott Carson, which it was, it was almost like, like basically Pep said, Oh, yeah, yeah, your career's over now, so I'm going to play you so you can say bye to everyone. It's like they were, just, they were talking, like, the pundits were talking about Scott Carson as if he was like this, um, like a 120 year old man who'd just been brought out of retirement to play. A game so everyone could say goodbye. Um, but uh, what, what also was funny is like in terms of Man City, the difference between Carson and Edison, like literally Edison's one of the best goalies in the world and is pretty much an outfield player, and Carson was a uh, glue to his line all game. But you know what was interesting? Yesterday was that Newcastle had three shots on target and we scored all three, right? Um obviously, you know, two were penalties. Well, one was a pen, I guess, uh, one was a tackle rebound. And um, Carson didn't make a single save. And Man City, um, six shots on target. Four goals. It was uh, very, very unique, right? It was all, almost like an on-target, 100% conversion rate. So uh, I think that that tells you about last night's game as well, right? It was a, a really unique game of football for, in, in many ways, in my, my opinion. like something I, I genuinely don't recall seeing a game like it.
1: You know what's interesting? You used to see a lot more old goalkeepers, I feel, in the Premier League. You, you know, you used to see... You know, was it Mike Pollitt at Wigan it was like 38th when he made his Premier League debut? You know, Neville Southall went on ages. David Seaman was getting on. Um, you just don't really see them anymore. But just to give you some reference about Scott Carson's career, is he was in goal when Graham Souness as Newcastle beat Liverpool at St James' Park back in 2004 or five. Um So the kind of career he's had. Um, yeah. I think that does it. Norman, take a step back for me, please. For the listeners, this is no good to you, but viewers can see Norman wearing the brand new True Faith from the Time T-shirt range. Um, get your T-shirts, £16, I think, plus postage and packaging. Um, we've got a new fanzine on sale, of course. I'll hold that up for the camera so people can see it. We'd be delighted if you bought a £2.50 plus postage and packaging. Um, and finally, we're on paper, and of course, we'll do loads of extra podcasts. Um, we'll have a full Sheffield United and Fulham preview this week uh, as we're heading to the last last week of what has been a a largely dreadful season but let's hope we can end it on a high, we've got loads for you coming this summer as well as uh, full European Championship communication Um, next Friday as well, uh, the supporters trust in the 1892 pledge scheme are hosting a live event Friday night, 7 o'clock, Alan Shearer will join us Charlotte is hosting it uh, to talk about the season um, talk about the eight ninety two pledge scheme and, and talk about Newcastle United in general so please join us for that next Friday 7pm live on a, a range of uh, YouTube channels Facebook channels um, on Twitter, on NUFC 360's feed, so join us for that I'll leave it there, thanks Charlotte, Mark and Norman it's been a pleasure, we'll speak to you I don't know if we'll do a show midweek uh, after Sheffield United, we'll decide, we might, might ask a guest on, we'll see, I'll have to think about that today get some heads together and uh, thanks for listening to the true faith podcast we appreciate it speak to you all very soon bye-bye i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast